Hey everyone, welcome to part three of the Dan and Joe Sports Show tonight. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Uh, Joe, I want to start it off with our locks of the week. Uh, and I think that, you know, we've got just such an epic uh, one here that I literally just blew my mind that I saw this line. Uh, it's so good that they must be trying to trap you with it. And Joe, you got Louisville going on the road, taking on Pittsburgh. Louisville, of course, is undefeated right now. Fresh off what is arguably the most impressive win of the season. Uh, yes, we got Oklahoma beating Texas in the Red River rivalry. Texas traveling to Alabama and getting the big win over Bama in Bryant Denny. But this this Louisville win over Notre Dame was so incredibly unexpected. And the fact that they did it the way they did it. And so now you've got this Louisville team that's got so much confidence that right now, I mean, in the ACC, they don't have to play Florida State or North Carolina in the regular season. Things are really trending well for them. They travel to a wonderful pit team that's one in four. And I think every single one of those four losses, which, by the way, have been the last four games, they're on a four-game losing streak, have been by at least 17 points. And Louisville Jones only favored by seven and a half. Uh, this Louisville team, uh, Jeff Brown, the, the native son, really, you know, outside of Lamar Jackson, the two years he was there, when Jeff Brown was the quarterback in the early 2000s, when the first time that Bobby Petrino was head coach, he was probably the quarterback of, you know, either the best or the second best era of Louisville football in modern times. Uh, and now it seems like he's certainly ushering in a new generation of that. Uh, I really like the quarterback and Jack Plummer. Um, I mean, minus seven and a half. I think this is a big race. I like Louisville big, so lay the points on the Cardinals on this one. I think that's a good pick. I mean, you look at Pitt with that one and four record, I think absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I saw those games on some network, CW network. I, I've never seen a college football game on that network, actually. Uh, I've totally forgot about the CW. Isn't that what uh, the WB turned into? I think so. So that, that's really baffling that that's the selection. So I think it comes, does it come on between reruns of One Tree Hill? <laughs> I mean, it's almost like when you have True TV on March Madness, in March, you know, during March Madness, uh, you know, every year. So you know, just just listen, guys. If you want to watch this and you want to catch up on Dawson's Creek, you can do this. That's, that's your one chance to be able to do that during this college football season. I think so. I think so. And the one I was looking at, Dan, I was looking at Tennessee A and M, and Tennessee's only favored by three. You know, maybe this is me just wanting uh, Tennessee to have a chance in the East, but I, I really think that Tennessee's going to win this by probably like 10 points. Joe, sure, I really like that pick too. Um, I thought about making that my lock of the week, actually. When you look at this AM team, they have been woeful on the road, really, since Jimbo Fisher has been there. I heard this earlier today, Joe, and this is a mind blowing stat. I even went through and checked it. The last road win that AM had in the SEC was in 2020 against Missouri. So we're talking three years ago. Uh, Knoxville is arguably the, the toughest place to play in the SEC. Um, we, had, we had Junior Rosemary on for uh, the show earlier. He said that uh, in his experience playing football in Auburn, the hardest place he ever he ever played at was in Knoxville, playing in Neyland Stadium. Um, a road environment, full a They're not going to have Connor Wigman. I mean, Max Johnson's been a very good backup. He has. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's succeeded what, what Connor Wigman's done. 
But one problem that he has is uh, we, saw, we saw it against Alabama. Alabama was able to get a lot of pressure against him. He's not very mobile. And Tennessee's got a very good defensive line. They've been getting after quarterbacks. We know the way they play at home. And I think that Joe Milton has not, you know, fulfilled the expectations that I and, of course, everyone else that, you know, all, all the big Tennessee fans had. Um, I thought that Joe Milton was going to be, you know, really great this season. So far, he hasn't been too good. But I thought they played very well against South Carolina in their last home game. And they're building a lot of confidence. A&M, they took their shot at Alabama and lost in a game that really they had a great chance to win. Um, I think that Tennessee's in a good spot right here, too. And I think the strength of their defensive line pressuring Max Johnson. And I think that even though Tennessee's going to be without Brew McCoy for the rest of the season, they still have Squirrel, who's a really good receiver. And Joe Milton is going to have his opportunities against what is a, a very porous A&M secondary. I think so. I think that, you know, schematically is a lot of reasons that gives uh, Tennessee a good chance. And I think, too, when I look at kind of like the emotional aspect, I just think it's going to be tough for Tennessee coming back after losing to Alabama, kind of feeling like their season, as far as the playoff, is over. Uh, a huge missed opportunity. And then also, I think that Tennessee has kind of uh, come back from the Florida loss, and they feel like they really have a good chance now. Yeah, I think the Florida loss came at a good time for Tennessee. Um, it, it, if you could have a good time for that game, they had a lot of a lot of, a lot of times to be able to build back up from it. Looked really good against South Carolina, and meanwhile, A and M now is sitting there with two losses. They're two games behind Alabama, you know, abstentiously in the SEC in the SEC West. Meanwhile, Kentucky, yes, I mean, meanwhile, Tennessee, yes, they have a loss against Florida. Florida's not competing for the SEC East Championship, so. Tennessee really, as long as they can win out, they're going to win the SEC East. They got their chance against Georgia at Neyland. And I think this is a huge game for them. And I still really trust Josh Heupel in this offense to turn it around. A lot more so than I trust Jimbo Fisher. I think so. I, I think so. I think I think you're going to see A&M lose. You know, Alabama's going to beat them twice. And you're going to see uh, Tennessee have that kind of get-right game. That's right. Uh, Joe, speaking of having a, a get-right game, Arkansas is traveling on the road to Alabama, and this Arkansas team, I think at this point, Joe, they lost four games in a row. Uh, yeah, four in a row. They've lost four in a row. You said this a few weeks ago, and I didn't really buy into what you were saying, but you thought that Sam Pittman was starting to get on somewhat of a hot seat. And, you know, I didn't think about it, but now that I'm looking at the fact that he's lost four games in a row – a lot of people were trying to hype up Arkansas as some kind of dark horse team in the SEC West this year. I mean, they have been terribly bad at even somewhat reaching a semblance of those expectations. I think this is an interesting spot for them. Uh, you know, Brian Denny, in my mind, is not one of the most imposing uh, road trips in the SEC. I, I don't think the fans really get into it as much as they do at other places. In especially 11 a.m. atmospheres, it's not really the most awful one. I think this is an interesting uh, opportunity for Arkansas right here to maybe get right and get Sam Pittman's head back, you know, in a decent place and maybe be able to finish the season out okay. And by, by, by get right for Arkansas, I mean not getting beat by 24 points. I mean, I think if you're an Arkansas fan, you're Sam Pittman, you look at this Alabama team, they have a great defense. Their offense is pretty limited. You know, this may be an opportunity for Arkansas to keep this game a lot closer than people would think. 
Yeah, where you were going with that for just a second, I was thinking, like, are you about to pick the upset for Arkansas over Alabama? I was like, wow, that, that'd be something. Because Arkansas, I don't think they've beaten Bama since, what, 07 or 06? 06, I think. No, Arkansas is one of the only teams uh, that has not beaten Alabama since Nick Saban's been there. Um, are they, they're the only in the one in the West, right? I think they are the only one in the West, because even Mississippi State beat them in the first season that they were there. Um, I just the, – the offensive line is not protecting K.J. Jefferson enough. And Dallas Turner and, you know, the other really good defensive lineman for Alabama, uh, Tim Smith, they're going to be able to have their way hitting K.J. Jefferson. I think they're going to play inspired football, though, because they know that Sam Pittman's feeling it a little bit right now and they really like him. And I think they're going to play it tight. And when I say tight, I mean in the 10 to 14-point range. I, I'm no way picking Arkansas to spring the upset in this, but I saw the line earlier. It was like 20 points. That is a lot of points in this one, especially for an 11 a.m. kickoff against an Arkansas team that, you know, they, they got their backs against the wall. They got nothing to lose. So I look for the Hogs to come out and play good in this one. Yeah, I mean, I think that I could see them having an inspired performance where even though it's in a losing effort, you watch them and you say, really, that looks like more of an eight and four team. Uh, that yeah. doesn't look like a team, you know, that's kind of falling apart. And so that would bode well for them maybe to kind of uh, right the ship the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I don't think that this is an Arkansas team that's like a four and eight, five and seven type team. And I look for them to show that on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Right. I did have you go in there for a second, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you had all of our uh, listeners on the edge of the seat. All right, uh, Joe, speaking of edge of your seat, this is the game of the weekend. Oregon traveling to uh, Seattle to take on Washington. Number eight versus number seven. A really great showcase game for the last season of the Pac-12. Uh, you got two Heisman Trophy candidates, former Auburn star, now Oregon Duck, Bo Nix, uh, taking on Michael Penix Jr. in the battle of transfers. And... I mean, I'm really excited for this game. Uh, I think it's going to be one where the defense is going to make the difference because both of these offenses can really score. Uh, But, Joe, I've been way more impressed with Dan Lanning's Oregon defense than I have Washington's defense. I kept hearing – I've been hearing all season how Washington is the most – maybe the most complete team in college football, and they do a great job putting up points, but – I have seen Oregon take on high-flying offenses like Colorado and completely shut them down. I mean, the way that Oregon beat Colorado was like the way that Georgia beat Oregon to begin last season. I mean, it was that much of a just a brutal beatdown where we're that much better than you and we're better on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And Joe, this Oregon team is built like an SEC team. Uh, I think Dan Lanning has done just an excellent job. And I really, I mean, I like this Washington team with Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr., and I've heard that Husky Stadium is a is a tough place to play, but this Oregon team to me is right up there with Georgia, Michigan, Florida State uh, in terms of being a team that's just very balanced on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it seems like they're the Pac-12 team with the best chance to make the playoff the way, the way they're built. And I think that even though it's at Washington, I, I feel like as good as Michael Penix Jr. is, I, I feel like there's something about the Oregon offense that's a little bit more versatile, a little bit more dynamic. I feel like Penix Jr. is a guy that has a great arm, highly accurate, but I do trust Bo Nix, oddly enough, more to be able to score in multiple ways. I trust him more as a runner 
I think he's more of a guy, you know, that can, in a big moment on this stage, uh, lead his team to a win. And so, I, and then also you add in maybe the most important factor, the Dan Lanning defense. And so that'll probably stifle Washington a little bit. And it, and it may not show up as much on the stat sheet. You know, you may still see Penix Jr. throw for 300 yards, but I guarantee you there will be some little nuances and some shakeups that are a little bit different. And, and he'll have, even if, if he puts up numbers, big numbers, he'll have um, a little bit of a setback facing this defense. Yeah, I mean, we, we looked at uh, what Colorado had done through four weeks of the season. They went and they played Oregon at Alton, and they scored six points. And that's what they did to Shadur Sanders and, and that stellar offense. And I, I know that Michael Penix is at another level than what you have with Shadur Sanders, and the Washington offense is very good. But this Oregon defense is elite. And, and I look for Oregon to win this game on the road and show that they are the most balanced team in the Pac-12 and likely they're the represent- representative in the CFP for the Pac-12 this year. I mean, they're the best chance that the Pac-12 is ever going to do it for the first time since, what, 2016? Yeah, exactly. Actually, since Washington. Washington was the last team from the Pac-12 to make it. Yep. So this is going to be a fascinating game, though. I mean, it definitely is one that could go either way, but I definitely give the edge to the Ducks because of the way the defense is playing right now. And yeah. this is a big Heisman game, too, because I think that whichever one of these quarterbacks wins it, if it's Bo Nix or it's Michael Penix, I think that due to the the, the want to, to get some kind of, you know, getting the Pac-12 spotlight that we have this year, I think one of those quarterbacks could make it to New York if they can win this game. Yeah, I think the winner is still in the running. I think the loser, that might be their kind of disqualification. With Caleb Williams playing the way he is and the way he's frankly going to have to play the rest of the season, I think the loser is definitely excluded from the Heisman when this game's done. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, sorry, hold on. Uh, you know, Joe, another game we were talking about being excluded, uh, and we talked about Arkansas having to get up off the mat. There's a really interesting get up off the mat game between Missouri at Kentucky. You know, Missouri and Kentucky last week were on the other sides of the get-right games for uh, Georgia and LSU. And Kentucky, of course, got absolutely boat raced by by Georgia in a game that was so bad that it caused uh, Mark Stoops afterwards to say, well, I get the frustration of the fans, but maybe if you gave us a little bit more money, we could get good players like Georgia which to me I thought was a really trashy comment by him. And, I mean, just take your, your beating, man. You know, I mean, in my mind, like, you're gonna, you, you want to say, oh, you need to give us more money and then we can buy players like Georgia does. I just thought that was a real cop-out on Mark Stoops' like, like point right there. Uh, I mean, you know what? Auburn doesn't have the players that Georgia has right now, and they almost beat them. You don't hear a few, few, few he's making that comment. I, mean, I just thought that was, that was kind of low of him. Well, there's a couple of issues with it. One, you know, you're coaching at Kentucky, which is an athletic department where the men's basketball team is doing that sort of thing, you know, to get recruits. And so I think that's kind of contradictory. And then second, you look at the fact that Mark Stoops has been very comfortable in this position. You wouldn't think he would really want necessarily the level of expectation which comes with a fan base, you know, buying those types of players. I mean, suddenly he would be on the hot seat with that type of uh, format. 
Well, yeah, exactly. It's something else I heard that was funny too, Joe. Was someone's like, "Oh, well, you want your 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 fans to spend more money so that you can get these elite players? Why don't you take a four million dollar pay cut a year because he gets he gets paid like eight million dollars a year." There, there you go. I, I heard I heard somebody say that about another coach, and I think that's something that's not said enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, dude, don't ask for more money from fans who can barely afford it. If you think that your athletic department needs more money for NIL deals, then why don't you take a pay cut? Exactly. And get your team more prepared instead of just getting drugged through the ground by, by Georgia every single year like you do. Yeah, p- play for a $1 million salary. There'd be a lot of people that would sign up for it. Yeah. Um, so, Joe, I kind of like Missouri in this game because I think they're in a better mental place than Kentucky is right now. I know that Missouri had LSU at home last week, and they had a chance to get the big win over an LSU team that was walking wounded at that point. Um, But you and I both thought that LSU would come through in that game. And I thought what was important for Missouri was that they didn't embarrass themselves in that game. You know, I think that you and I both kind of thought LSU was going to go in there and beat them somewhere in the 45-21 type range. And instead, Missouri was in that game up until the last minute when they threw that pick six. Um, I think Missouri, you know, they still technically are alive in the East. I know Kentucky is too, but really Missouri still has everything to play for. Um, and I think that uh, Brady Cook is playing very good football right now. Uh, Luther Burden is an absolute beast at wide receiver. And I look for Missouri to get a big road win here against the Kentucky team that is just shell-shocked right now. Yeah, this game makes me go back and forth a little bit with it being at Kentucky. I think ultimately I'll surprise people, take Kentucky to win a close game, and here's the main reason. I think that Missouri having primarily a passing offense coming off last week where um, you know Cook had a couple of costly turnovers, I worry about them trying to throw the football in Lexington in October. I think that Kentucky's offense is well-suited, well better-suited, to win a game where they can, uh, you know, run the football. Yeah, I would agree, Joe. I mean, it, it tends to be usually that teams that beat Kentucky really bad are ones that do what they do better than what Kentucky does. But I worked at Kentucky last year. Uh, they took on Tennessee team uh, when Tennessee was playing really high, and Tennessee just obliterated them. And I'm not saying that Missouri has the kind of offense that Tennessee had last year, but they do have an offense that features some of the same kind of style. I think that this is one that, that's a big opportunity for Missouri, but with it being at home, Kentucky does play well at home. I'm not going to be shocked if it goes the other way. Right, and I would love to see Missouri win. Like, I'm really enjoying their story of them having kind of a you know, up-and-coming season. Joe, maybe the most fascinating game of the weekend is we were talking about getting up off the mat. There may be no team in America that's got further to get up off the mat than Mario Cristobal's failure to kneel um, Miami Hurricanes. They're going all the way taking on North Carolina, who, as we mentioned last show, North Carolina is the most impressive team that nobody's really talking about. Uh, they haven't been challenged all season. Meanwhile, they played pretty good teams. I mean, Syracuse is a pretty good team. Uh, South Carolina is a pretty good team, and they've beaten up on every single one of the teams they played. Um, Miami, meanwhile, of course, they played excellent against A and M at the home at home. And all, if they nailed out, they'd be undefeated. And this would be uh, this wouldn't be college game day because of Oregon and Washington. But this would be a game that's being heavily looked at. Now it's just more everyone's fascinated to see how does Miami respond from what may be the greatest coaching gaffe ever. Yeah, if somebody compared it to the Seahawks trying to come back after the, the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, 
but you need you need at least that entire offseason. Like this is like one week to come back for it. You also got to think that Cristobal is looking at Oregon in Washington and thinking about you know I might should have stayed there. You know where, where college game day is. Yeah, I, I mean, I just don't, you know, I know Cristobal is a very good recruiter, which that's what Junior Rosegreen said last show, too. He's a good coach, but he's just a bad game coach. I mean, his problems with clock management, they've gone back many years. I was at a game where that happened, the Auburn-Oregon game back in 2019. He tried uh, to get Justin Herbert got uh, his helmet knocked off, and Oregon had a fourth and one, and he called two timeouts in a row in order to get Justin Herbert back out on the field because he thought that if you called a timeout, then the the rule where if you didn't have a helmet on, you could come back on the next you couldn't come back in the next play uh, would be reversed. And instead, because he called timeouts on back to back plays, uh, he had a five yard penalty in. So suddenly they have fourth and six, and Herbert Herbert still can't go out there. Auburn stops him and gets the ball about the forty five yard line, and of course. Bo Nix to Seth Williams happens very soon after that. So, I mean, he's just got a history of not really understanding the rules of football or really understanding the way the clock works at the end or even timeout rules. Right. And he's, you know, the issue this week is, you know, not only is it Drake May, but he's facing a Hall of Fame head coach in Matt Brown. And so I think that that um, drop-off is even more glaring in this situation. And I almost wonder, you know, if you're Cristobal, you got to kind of think that if you can recruit so well, you just got to maybe surround yourself with maybe better coordinators that can kind of take care of more of the game management. Yeah, I mean, he's an offensive line coach. Why is he making those decisions at the end anyway? Yeah, he kind of just needs to stay out of that. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the dude's a good recruiter. He's had some pretty solid coordinators. Just let them do their job. Be the the Tommy Tuberville type coach. Yeah, definitely. Um. But y'all look at this game is I think North Carolina is a team on a mission right now, and that mission is it's going to be them at Florida State at the end of the season. They're the two best teams in the ACC, and I think they're going to be the teams that, that play each other for the ACC championship. I like Louisville a lot, but I think that that ultimately North Carolina and Florida State are the best two teams. And I think that Miami is definitely a very talented team, but psychologically, I think they're in such a rough place. I look for a very strong defense for North Carolina and a solid play of Drake May to, to shine through. And I look for uh, North Carolina to win this game pretty comfortably. I, I think so. And like you said, have, have a good chance uh, still in the ACC. Joe, another fascinating game uh, that, you know, I'm sure a couple of weeks ago people thought this would have been game day and was going to be really highly featured, but we've had some slip-ups by these teams lately. Uh, USC going to Notre Dame. Uh, and I say slip-ups, USC has not lost a game yet. I know everybody's putting it out there. They're still undefeated technically. Uh, that was a very poor performance against Arizona, but, hey, they got the win. And now they travel to South Bend with a Notre Dame team that's coming off the most embarrassing loss in Notre Dame football in quite some time. I know they lost to Marshall last year, but I don't think the expectations were really there last year. And meanwhile, this year, the expectations were there. They played that great game against Ohio State. They didn't get the win. Speaking of coaching, yeah, 10 people on the field. But then the next week, they came back and they played that great game against Duke to win. I think that kind of, you know, in my mind, alleviated some of the concerns I had about Notre Dame. And then they go out and they lay this – 
just atrocious egg against uh, against you know Louisville, and so this is an interesting game to me because USC's got maybe the best offense in college football, and Notre Dame's got one of the best defenses in college football. Sam Hartman's an excellent quarterback, but they've shown that he's got a tight end to throw to, and that's kind of it. I mean, this is a really hard one for me to pick, Joe. Where are you kind of leaning on this one? I think I'm going with Notre Dame because it's at home, and I feel like we might see them go out there and have a pretty good performance where they kind of frustrate their fans with what could have been. And also feel like USC's just kind of – in a position where they're going to lose one or two games as good as the offense is. And this just seems like the opportunity on the schedule for it to happen. Kind of like a situation where you have Notre Dame suddenly as frustrating as it is. Suddenly maybe uh, those two losses takes a little bit of the pressure off, oddly enough, and suddenly they perform better than expected. And then USC, the close calls, the pressure on the offense to score every time, that kind of takes its toll. It's a pretty good analysis there, Joe. Um, you know, I don't have any real like justifications for it. You have much, you're, you're saying that much more articulate than I can think about this right now. But I'm going to go with USC on this one because I feel like the way that Notre Dame played last week was so deflating, not just that they lost, but just the way it happened. And Sam Hartman turned it over like three or four times, which is as big a fan as I've, I've been of his. He has been known to have some really awful games. And I just kind of feel like USC is going to, you know, they played a rough game last week, but I feel like they're in a better mental place to recover from it than where Notre Dame is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see who comes back, you know, and, and, and kind of uh, shows more momentum, kind of shows like uh, a semblance of, uh, of life here. And at the end of the day with Notre Dame, I compared uh, Sam Hartman and Notre Dame with this team to – Russell Wilson, 2011, going to Wisconsin. Oddly enough, I was thinking about it. I think they ended up with two losses that season. So I guess they ended up being as good as they were offensively, as disappointing as Notre Dame so far. Yeah, they they, they, they were. And, you know, they lost that really bad game to TCU at the end of the season with Andy Dalton. Yep. Exactly. And, yeah, this is going to be a very disappointing Notre Dame team, even if they do win this game. Um, but I'm just fascinated to see this because, you know, this is a, a coaching matchup where Marcus Freeman's made a lot of a, a, a lot of wet behind the ears kind of, uh, you know, errors in his first couple of years in Notre Dame. And I definitely like Lincoln Riley more as an in-game coach right now. Yeah, Freeman, he's got a channel um, like th- this is the team I always think about in this kind of situation. I think it was 2010 Virginia Tech with Frank Beamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback. And they started out 0-2. But they lost to Boise on a Monday night, I think, Boise State. And then they lost to James Madison. But then they ran the table in the ACC and made it to the Orange Bowl. And I was thinking, you know, what a phenomenal turnaround and coaching job where you've got nothing to play for as far as the BCS, but you at least kind of bring it together and run the table. And I think that that's kind of what Notre Dame has to look at the season and say, look, you know, can't go back, but – as frustrating as it is, we'll be a lot happier if we go with 10 and 2. They have the they have the talent to do it. Um, and I don't like to see them do it. I'm just I'm just fascinated to see how they get up off the mat, just like Miami. I think they, they each have equal challenges this week. Yeah, he's very similar. Uh, and Joe, you know, actually, 
the uh, the Notre Dame uh, USC game is very similar to me to the Auburn LSU game. I mean, you know, you got you got an offense that can't be stopped. A la, uh, you know, Caleb Williams and USC, Jaden Daniels and LSU that has a porous defense and a poor secondary. And then you got a team on the other side that's got a great defense, but is somewhat limited in throwing the ball due to the, you know, in, in Notre Dame circumstance, the ability of the receivers, they have a great quarterback. And Auburn's, it's the quarterback and the wide receivers. They can both run the ball really well. Which team wins? So I think those are actually very interestingly, you know, parallel uh, matchups. Yeah, that's ironic. Um, Joe, speaking of the team, the biggest win that Notre Dame had this season, it was against Duke. And sadly, you know, the last play of the game, Riley Leonard, uh, Fairhope, a uh, local boy, got injured, and he's been injured uh, since then. Um, I've heard that he may return this week, but the odds are they're probably going to hold him out one more week so that he can return to take on Florida State, which would probably be smart. But this NC State team may be one of the most disappointing teams we've had in college football this year. And last week, they they finally benched B.J. Armstrong, the, the transfer from, uh, from Virginia. And the backup, they actually put up like 41 points. And this is an interesting spot for me right here. I mean, NC State is under Dave Doran, has been a team that, what, like five out of the last six or seven years, everyone's like, this is a dark horse playoff team. Watch out for them in the ACC, and it hasn't happened. And then this year they get off to an atrocious start. I'm fascinated to see if Duke, without Riley Leonard, can get this win and, and be in a position where the Florida State game still means as much as it does right now. Yeah, that's a good question, Dan. And NC State's kind of in that category – with uh, North Carolina, their in-state rival is kind of a forgotten ACC team right now. And I think part of it, too, is because Duke has had kind of a kind of special start to the season. I saw where you had the graphic, you have all these basketball traditional powerhouses that are ranked for the first time, I think, all together since 1936 when you had teams like UCLA, Duke, North Carolina. And so NC State, kind of a forgotten commodity, but I think with the quarterback mismatch, I think they've got a chance maybe to win this game. I know, Joe. I, I hate to say it, but I think I'm picking NC State on the upset on this one. I really like Mike Elko. I think he's an excellent coach. And what he's done with his Duke program in two years has just been, frankly, miraculous. Uh, but I think without Riley Leonard, I can't pick them to win this game. I, I don't think so either. But I also wonder how long Elko will be at Duke. you got to think it's a matter of time before somebody's going to be calling Oh, uh, he's going to – hey, you know, it might be A&M at the end of the season. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, you look at A&M's, like, slate to end the season. They're going to Knoxville this weekend. They still have to go to Oxford. And uh, they haven't played LSU yet either. So, I mean, it's possible they go 7-5. and five. And, and if they went 7-5 and five this season, that really could be it for Jimbo. Yeah, that, that would be tough slaving. I feel like for all this – I'm rooting for them to go like nine and three, kind of boost all this as resume. Have like them and LSU both go like nine and three, but yeah, I, I could easily see it kind of getting out of, out of hand for them. But yeah, so but I, what I'm saying is, I think if that were to happen, I think Mike Elko would be a very attractive option because I don't know that they would have to pay him anywhere near the neighborhood of what Jimbo's making right now, and they're going to have to pay such a huge buyout to to make Jimbo leave if it's this year, next year, whenever. 
that someone they can pay a little bit less that has the coaching chops of Mike Elko, I think would be very attractive. Yeah, that'd be a very smart uh, contractual decision. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but I, I want to see this Duke story continue because I think it's a, it's a good story for college football and it's something kind of different. No, it, it really is. But yeah, Joe, this is definitely the big weekend for the Pac-12. You know, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you want to see either Oregon and Washington flex and you want to see USC get the big win in South Bend. And I think we'll we'll see a lot this weekend as to whether or not there actually will be a Pac-12 team in the college football playoff. And you also get too. I mean, I think that you know we're talking about the great defenses we've seen in the Pac-12. UCLA at Oregon State. I mean, that's another huge defensive uh, you know uh, matchup right there. Oregon State under Jonathan Smith. I mean, what they gave up seven points against against Utah with a big upset. Uh, they've got one loss right now. DJU played good for a while, but it's been a little rough the last couple weeks. Uh, UCLA. I mean. They lost to Utah, what, 14-7. to And then, of course, they completely shut down Washington State. Joe, this may be a game that shocks people by being like a 10-7 to game in the Pac-12. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be kind of a game that uh, is defensive-focused, field position, and points are more at a premium. Yeah, but this is going to be the one that whoever the winner is on this one – they're going to be the forgotten team in the Pac-12 that still has a chance because everyone's going to focus on USC – and then the winner of this Oregon-Washington game. But whoever wins this game is still going to be hanging around with a chance. That's true. And let's say, you know, it's Oregon State. They would still get that chance at Oregon at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, that would be so epic if the Oregon-Oregon State game was for a chance to get the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, that, that was fun. I think it was the year, like, 09 or 08 when uh, they faced off for a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, and that, that was a lot of fun. So fingers crossed we get to see that happen, especially with Pac-12 being kicked to the curb and not getting to leave for greener pastures like all the other Pac-12 teams. Right, right, exactly. All right, Joe. Well, we had a great show tonight. Uh, many thanks to Junior Rosegreen, who actually sent me an Instagram of his uh, his team. The uh, Let me see what exactly the name of that was, the, the high school that, that he's coaching at in Miami. It is the uh, Miami Norland football. So if you want to follow him on Instagram, he sent me the, the, the their last game score. They won 2019. They got a big game, which he said they might have 20,000 people at tomorrow night. So definitely check that out and definitely look at his recruits because he's bringing in some really solid recruits to places like Auburn and all over America that he's training up down there. Uh, big weekend in the Pac-12. And you can catch all the episodes on Spotify. You can subscribe to our channel. And, of course, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and see us in Live and Living Color and follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm Jeff.